Follow us on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight, and like we mentioned off the top of the show, we are joined by White Sox closer Liam Hendricks on White Sox Weekly this morning. Liam, good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, mate. Yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Have you caught your breath after last night's uh, crazy comeback win for the White Sox? Chance to get some rest back up to the ballpark this morning? Uh, a little bit of rest, a little bit of uh, kind of just, I tried to stop sweat. It took me about an hour to stop sweating after last night. It's been getting a little toasty up in here. Yeah, but that's been uh, that's been really good for the for the White Sox offense so far. Your battery mate, Yasmani Grandal, doesn't seem to mind the weather at all. He's going yard to all kinds of the ballpark. Yeah, it's been exciting to see that. Not only that, uh, it's just his, his approach is just it's getting more aggressive, which is fantastic because obviously... Uh, We've seen what he can do in the past while I've played against him when he's been on a multitude of different teams. And, um, yeah, seeing that uh, that little spark in his eye again has been pretty big. So, Liam, I wanted to ask, you know, you come into the ball game last night with runners on first and second, two out. You're facing Nico Goodrum. It's not the first time this year or in your career, of course, you come in uh, to an inning that needed a little work done. You, you talked the other day um, about being able to switch it on and switch it off. Is the it different? When you come into a clean inning versus when you come in with runners on, does that does that alter the the mechanism at all for you? Uh, coming into runners on is actually a little bit easier because I'm more focused on making sure that whoever's runs are on on deck or on the field that they don't score, and that's the big thing. It's it's almost have to manufacture a little bit every now and then when it's just it's a clean inning or anything like that. But when someone else's runs, that's where I feel like I'm the most locked in because I my job is to make sure that uh, no one scores, especially when it's a guy, guy fellow guy in the bullpen like Crochet's last night or. Uh, some other guys in the past, but that's that's one thing I really pride myself in is uh, making sure those inherited runners don't score. Uh, congratulations on your American League Reliever of the Month award. I love the idea of of collecting the set and like creating a like a reliever infinity gauntlet kind of thing where you're you're super powered and the whole deal. Yeah, something like that. I mean, obviously, um, yeah, I've, got, I've knocked out a couple ones. I think I've got now May, June, and August, I believe. Um, and so now we've just got April, July, and September to knock off, and then we can go from there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's just it's a it's a little play on it. But I'm just I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to be in a position where I can have a chance to win something like that, or have a team behind me that gives me the uh, the opportunity to kind of put my best foot forward at all times. You've talked a lot about your your extension and how important that is for fastball rise, and and I would imagine to some degree fastball command for you as well. Does extension play into your breaking stuff too? Without a doubt, obviously, um, the closer your relation to the plate, the less like it, it's just closer to the plate, so the the reaction time for the hit is less. But with breaking ball specifically, it's you theoretically the ball breaks at this at a certain point no matter where you release the ball but for me if i get if i release it later that break tends to be a little bit later and all of a sudden they don't have as much uh kind of awareness of when the ball is going to move before they have to start swinging the bat but yeah it just it helps everything play up because you're a little bit closer everything gets on the hitter a little bit more and and you look at like perceived velocity and stuff like that the closer you are to the plate the more perceived velocity or the more velocity that it crosses the home plate with uh, is still there because I think it generally like a 98 mile per hour fastball usually crosses the plate anywhere from 88 to 89 miles an hour. So the closer you get to that, the less chance it has to slow down. I I love the idea and, and the way you've talked about getting you know kind of behind the baseball and not 
quote unquote, trying to throw as hard as you can, but instead trying to reach as far as you can. Why does that make so much of a difference for, you know, not just you, but but a lot of relievers, and a lot of people throwing. I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of talk to that from our, you know, I, I know a lot of guys playing high school baseball listen into the show and are looking to kind of develop some way uh, in that in that kind of realm. Yeah, I mean, velocity is all well and good, but you see, I can't remember, I can't, the countless amount of people that I've seen that have thrown upper 90s or anything like that and not been able to get anywhere because one, they don't hide the ball well, and two, they've got nothing else to go along with it. So velocity doesn't mean anything if you if you have nothing else going along with it. The one thing that I do relatively well, um, and hopefully it continues knock on wood, is uh, I tend to be a little bit slower through my delivery and then it kind of explodes out. So it's you're mixing in those two different timing mechanisms. So you're a little slower, and then all of a sudden it's a quick arm and it's quick through the zone. But um, for me, it's just the yeah, extension is one of those things where it's like you always know, like, and every pitcher knows there's those times where you're just trying to throw a strike. It's a 3-0, 3-1 count. You're just trying to get make sure there's something in the zone. And that velo tends to be the same, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I don't actually have to go as for, as hard as I can at all times to get it. Um, knowing that and having that kind of in the back of your mind a little bit, it makes it just a little bit easier just to kind of focus on the things you need to focus on. But my big thing is always extension and making sure that the spin efficiency is close enough to uh, to perfect that I can kind of get that right on the fastball. Because even the other night, like um, the uh, the game I came in with a three-run lead against the Tigers, my spin efficiency wasn't great. So there's something always to work on. I had a clean inning-ish, I mean, with a wild pitch strikeout. But, yeah, it was a clean, clean-ish inning. And uh, But there's always something to work on, making sure that I can make get that next outing to be a little bit better, a little bit more efficient, a little bit cleaner. White Sox closer Liam Hendricks is our guest here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Hey, Liam, I, I heard you talking about the whole Legos Star Wars <laughs> thing the other day. And I, I had to ask... Were you a, a Star Wars guy that got into Legos, a Legos guy that got into Star Wars? Is it is it not quite that linear? Where's, where's the interest lie there? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit befuddled at the start, but um, I definitely was more of a Star Wars movie guy through my adolescence. I played with Legos as a kid, like every kid does, but sure. more of a Star Wars guy through my adolescence, and then with their kind of uh, reinvention with some of the newer movies and then with Lego joining the joining the force and getting that um yeah I've got the uh I've got the Millennium Falcon that that's in the back I need to build but that won't be one I do at the field cuz that's 7500 pieces so I don't think my luck is quite big enough to build that one um it's, but it's yeah not. Uh, it's not <laughs> no, no, I've built Grogu. I've got uh, a Darth Vader bust. I've got Boba Fett, a Stormtrooper, Trooper. I've got some uh, some things in the works. I've got that uh, the R two D two that came out not too long ago to to get done. And yeah, it's just um, I, I love my Star Wars. I love my fantasy. Anything really, anything to do with space fights and gun battles and all that sort of stuff. I'm all in on. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of uh, it, it piqued my interest as a kid. My dad and I used to watch them all all the time to the point where I, when I went back, it was uh, one of the movies came out, so it was just. Me and my, I took my dad out to the movies, and we got in Australia. It's called Gold Class, where you have reclining seats. They bring food and drinks to you. It was just uh, we make it. We make a day out of it. So I'm a huge Star Wars fan myself, uh, and I grew up with Legos and the whole thing. Actually, during the pandemic, I built one of the uh, like the 1300 piece Star Destroyer. You know, the one that has the the top that kind of lifts off. I don't know if yep. you've seen it. Um, so does that mean that you like as a kid? Were you like reading comics, reading the expanded universe books and stuff, or mostly keeping it to movies? Where were you at? Uh, as a kid, it was more movies. Uh, since yeah. I've moved into my kind of teenage and adult years, I've read some of the uh, the Star Wars books and stuff like that. But it's uh, 
like and don't get me wrong, I love the books, but it's just it's it's, it's something different. The movie hits different. Um, but then you get certain ones like I've read all of the Harry Potters, all of the Hunger Games, all of the uh, the Shadow and Bone series that's just come out on Netflix. There's been a bunch of series that I've read that have blown far blown out the the way the movies were. But for whatever reason, I don't know if I saw the movies first as a kid and then just ran with it that way. But yeah. those movies just are a little bit different than the books. I never really I never got into the comic books or the graphic novels. Unfortunately, uh, I would have loved that, but. I think that would have just been more time consuming and my, my wife would have hated me just a little bit more. Favorite Star Wars film? I mean, it, it's it's hard to put them all together. I mean, you've got the, the old middle range ones and you've got the new ones and then you've got the new new ones and it's a whole yep. thing. But, I mean, you can't fault the just the original kind of uh, four, five, and six. I can't classify them as separate because it's four, five, and six were my kind of go-tos as a kid because... They completely redefined the genre. Of course they did. I mean, I'm an Empire guy myself, and you're just you're not going to get anybody to tell me that anyone's made a better Star Wars film than Empire Strikes Back. No, it's the you started you, you put the you put the bar too high too early. <laughs> How? How did I? I mean, it was it was right there. They did it. It's it's their fault. Well, that's what I'm saying. They put the bar. They put the bar too high too early. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. It's like that's why it's like you can't just have bust on the scene with a great rookie season. You need to give it a couple of years and then you do it, and then it's it gets it's a little bit lot more lasting. Let's <laughs> see. I, I think that's I think that's the plan. Um, I don't know how interested you are in the uh, the Star Wars spinoff shows, but I you know I've I've got I'll watch them. I'll spend the time doing it. It's it's kind of like um, I know, it's kind of like scoreboard watching early on in a baseball season, right? It's like a thing that you do knowing it won't matter now, but will matter later, I guess. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of... Uh, no, I, I completely understand. Like, obviously, I've watched the... I haven't quite finished The Mandalorian because I try and watch it with my wife, and we've uh, we've had uh, differing schedules with the, the way the season's gone so far, but... Um, yeah, I've been watching The Mandalorian. I've done a lot of the Clone Wars uh, animated series. I've done a lot of those things where it's like I'm getting back into it that way. But um, uh, to be honest, at, at, when I'm at the hotel room or anything like that, I try not to watch too much TV. I try to kind of focus on whether it's reading or building things or whether I'm using my steering wheel and playing Formula One. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, you just try and find ways to keep busy, but I try and stay off as much because I like to watch TV with my wife. We have certain shows we watch together, and I don't want to be that guy that's just going to be like, oh, yeah, we started it together, but now I'm in season six when we're in yeah. season three before I went on the road trip. Don't be that guy. It's it's so hard to fake the surprise when you're rewatching it and trying exactly. to sell it as oh this is new for me too. This is great. Yeah. Oh my. This is brand new information, as Phoebe <laughs> Buffay would say. Never really works. Um, okay, real quickly here before we let you go, Liam. Uh, obviously, a, a large conversation in baseball right now is the stuff that either is or isn't going onto the baseball by pitchers who either do or do not use it, and it's just kind of this big nebulous conversation from from the perspective that that I have. You know, up here in the booth, not having played, you have a obviously much different perspective. Are I, I guess the question are are we as a baseball media? making more out of this issue than we should or does this need to be addressed from your perspective as not only a, a guy that's been in this game for a long time but a guy who's on that mound and, and seeing it either used or not used and the effects that it does or does not create yeah i mean it's it's a rampant issue throughout the league it's uh it's something that has gone on for decades not just recently but recently it's gotten to a little bit more of a scientific level where people are now using certain 
like devices, whether it be a rap soda, whether it be a trackman, whether it be something like that, to be able to kind of track the differences and and put that out there. And I I am all for policing it more and doing whatever they need to do because at the end of the day, we want to try and level the playing field because this is going to benefit everyone in the long run. Yeah, it's going to affect some pitches now, but it's going to be great in the long run because all of a sudden that offense is going to come back a little bit. That fan base is going to be not so wavery and not using this as a as an excuse. And then all of a sudden when pitches start getting ahead of it again then we have the bragging rights of like, well, you complained so much last time we took it away and now look, we're still doing it. Now maybe it's, maybe it's on you guys. Maybe it's on the hitters. Maybe it's a, it's a different approach. It's not, I wouldn't say necessarily guys trying to hit too many home runs or anything like that, but I think the, like once you eradicate the, uh, the, the substances or whatever you guys, whatever MLB wants to do with that, I think there needs to be a, a come to Jesus moment where it's like, okay, well, what can we do to help increase offense? Oh, let's pay guys for singles. Let's pay guys to get on base. Let's pay guys to do this rather than just let's pay guys for OPS or the home runs or the RBIs or anything like that. Let's pay the guys who are hitting singles like the Nick Madrigals of the world who are going to hit 315 to 360 every year and, and maybe hit two to five home runs in a season. And let's pay those guys what they're worth instead of all oh, your OPS is down or your slugging's down or you weren't, at a league, you weren't above an average hitter because you had no power numbers. That's, that, that needs to go away. The analytics side of that needs to go away and pay guys for getting on base, pay guys for getting singles and doubles. Interesting. Liam, appreciate it as always. Uh, good luck this afternoon and good luck to your, uh, your Canadians as well. No, we're up two games to none, so hopefully we can knock it out. My prediction was Canadians in five, so let's, uh, let's hope that's, that holds true. Best of luck, man. Thanks so much for coming on. No, I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Liam Hendricks, White Sox closer, Lego aficionado, Star Wars, uh, well, Jedhead, I guess, and so am I, I can say it, it's, it's a loving thing. Sox fans, single-game tickets are on sale now for games through June 16th, plus promos are back. Secure your spot and catch all the action at home for tickets and the promo schedule. Visit WhiteSox.com. All right, full disclosure, uh, a little bit of change had to happen here at the ballpark. We had a little bit of a glitch in the system. Apologize for that. We've gotten it ironed out. I think I just had my foot on the cord or something. And then Liam Hendricks off the top of the show. So we're going to take a quick break, catch our breath, reset a little bit and get into the rest of our planned morning here on White Sox Weekly. Your phone calls, always welcome, 312-332-3776. We're going to talk about the White Sox winner last night. thought Liam brought up a really interesting point about incentivizing hitters in today's ballgame. It's a big conversation in and around the league right now, the stuff that may or may not be on the baseball. Jesse Rogers is going to be our guest at 1130. We'll be right back with more on White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Liam Hendricks was our guest just earlier this morning. In case you missed the interview and you want to go back and listen to it, you can download the ESPN Chicago app. All of our White Sox weekly shows are filed there on the app. You can listen live. It's an awesome app because you just you turn it on and it works. A lot of these other radio apps, you turn it on, you have to hit like, I don't know, 95 buttons to get to the live station and everything like that. This one you just kind of turn on and it starts playing. It, it, it works that way. Anyway, you can find all the old shows as well. Uh, the at ES, uh, the ESPN Chicago app. A little bit of a weird start to the show for us this morning. Not weird, welcome, uh, but just different. Liam Hendricks wanted to, uh, you know, get a get an interview knocked out to start the show. He's a closer. 
but today he led off White Sox Weekly. Uh, so we got to get back in order just a little bit. Here's the plan for the morning. I, I want to get into something that Liam mentioned just toward the end of that interview about the about the state of baseball a little bit. A big conversation in and around the league is the foreign substance conversation. It's been going on for a while now, but uh, in in... I don't know, recent reporting, and we'll talk to Jesse Rogers about this of ESPN at 11.30, there have been, I guess, stepped-up procedures by Major League Baseball about taking some of these foreign substances out of play, banning them, studying them, uh, and perhaps even penalizing players who may use that substance. Uh, there's a lot to get into there. We'll talk to Jesse about it at 11.30, but I thought Liam brought, offered some uh, interesting conversation uh, about what the offense may need to look like, too. Obviously, a, a huge White Sox winner last night, a comeback win after yeah, a little bit of a, a, a cough up, but some good baseball, too, from the Tigers on the other side of the equation. Uh, White Sox with a walk-off, your mean Mercedes Drills an inside pitch into left to win the ball game. He's on an 0 for 25, but he comes up with the game winner. Lucas Giolito and Tarek Skubal, the starters for this afternoon's ball game, a four game series for the White Sox and Tigers here at Guaranteed Rate Field. I was just looking at this too. The home win streak for the White Sox is at six already. Just, you know, kind of a blink of an eye sort of thing. And I. I mean it from that perspective of, you know, just last week, it it wasn't that long ago, we were talking about a White Sox team that had been swept in New York by the Yankees, and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of conversation was, boy, you know, can you keep up with teams outside the division, and, you know, the White Sox are playing really well, but they're also, you know, fairly banged up. You know, and it's not just guys who who aren't playing right now, and Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, but there have been a couple of... uh, you know, kind of nagging injuries to guys like Tim Anderson and Adam Eaton, Yasmani Grandal. And coming back from New York, it was, it was a lot of conversation about whether or not there was enough firepower on this squad to keep playing the way they have been. And in the blink of an eye, it seems they've answered that question. Of course, a couple of games against the Cardinals and Orioles helped out and playing this Tigers team who, who are playing better baseball than they had the last time they were in here. Uh, but it's all been it's all been well and good for the White Sox here in the month of May and now into June. So 312-332-3776, the phone number. We'll have some news for you when we come back from a quick break here on White Sox Weekly. As it regards the injured list for the White Sox, a little tease there. Uh, We'll also get into uh, last night's game a little bit as well. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. you got White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Mercedes slides into left, base hit, and the White Sox win it. Moncada scores, and they chase down Mercedes after he rounds first base. That's a two for one. He just won the game, and he snapped an 0 for 25. Oh, what a ball game. What a ball game indeed. White Sox win it. They beat the Tigers last night 9-8. to eight. Nine times they scored. Once in the bottom of the ninth, it was a walk-off winner from the bat of your mean Mercedes. This is White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Just got done talking with Liam Hendricks at the start of the show. We'll talk to Jesse Rogers at 11.30, lots going on in baseball, some national headlines. We'll talk White Sox, too, of course. Um, 
but last night's last night's winner was pretty wild. A one zero count on your mean Mercedes in that final at bat of the night, and and still he takes a pitch that's off the plate because he that's that's kind of your mean. That's what he does. Even when he's cooking, uh, he's able to hit pitches that are off the plate a little bit, and that has been part of his struggles as well, swinging at stuff. Um, off the plate, but great to see your mean whip one in the left and get the White Sox a win. They are now 35 and 22. I want to take some phone calls this morning. We'll talk a little bit more White Sox up until the start of our pregame show at 1230. We're going to do all that uh, in just 10 seconds from now. We just got to pause it real quick here for our stations to identify themselves. So a little bit of news here this morning, uh, and it's good news for the White Sox. Andrew Vaughn is off the injured list, and Gavin Sheets has been returned to AAA Charlotte. I just got the email uh, a couple of minutes ago looking through it here. Vaughn was placed on the injured list Thursday. Of course, that was the COVID IL. Vaughn was asymptomatic. I don't have any more details on uh, necessarily how he was feeling or when those test results turned from positive to negative, but we'll keep you posted on that as we learn a little bit more End of the story is Vaughn is back and Sheets has been sent back down to AAA Charlotte. He did not appear in a game with the White Sox, unfortunately, although it did sound like Tona the Russa was, if if he needed to stay, Sheets that is, on the roster a little while. It, it sounded like maybe he could get into a game on Sunday, tomorrow. Uh, but that opportunity has gone by the wayside and it'll have to be Gavin Sheets' second stint in the big leagues for him to get into some action. I saw he did have some family here just the other night, so that was kind of fun to see. I think Sheets is one of those guys, by the way, who's uh, absolutely going to play some Major League Baseball this season, whether that's uh, here with the White Sox or as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline, I don't think it's unfair to speculate that you know those kind of guys are the kind of guys that should the White Sox look to add to this roster in, in any sense. Uh, teams are going to be calling about Gavin Sheets because he's been having a pretty good AAA season. He's broadened his defensive spectrum a little bit, and he seems as ready as just about anybody else in the White Sox system to go play some Major League Baseball and be uh, an impact for whatever player, for whatever team, rather, he winds up on. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to talk a little socks with us, we want to talk a little socks with you. Uh, yes, Monty Grandal, though, I think has been a focus of conversation for a little while. And I think it's fair. I think it's completely and understandably fair. And the conversation has gone one of, I don't know, six, eight, 10, 12 ways, whether it's wanting to know a little bit more about his defense and how he sets up, how he's changed that catching stance and why the catcher's interferences are there versus why he like leads the league in on-base percentage and walks despite the fact that his batting average is so low. I mean, how does a guy who doesn't present a whole lot of threat walk as much as he does? It's It's been a wild season for Yasmani Grandal to start. But he has started to hit and hit for power here this season. Two home runs last night, and all of a sudden, Yasmani Grandal, while he leads the league in walks at 44, also has fewer strikeouts than walks at 40, which is bizarre, and not many guys have that in this day and age of baseball. He has nine home runs and 21 driven in. He has an OPS plus, which, if you're not familiar with the OPS plus, more or less, it's a number that tries to boil down an offensive player's production and contributions. 
and adjust it to the ballparks that he's playing in. 100 is essentially league average. So each point you're above 100 is each point percentage point that you're above an average hitter, OPS+. plus. Yes, Mighty Grandall at 136 is producing much better than an average major leaguer. And that's despite the fact that his numbers look I don't I don't know what other way to say this. Wonky. I mean they're just weird. He's got a 154 batting average. He's on base at 400. Usually you get to a point where a hitter's got like a 100 point split. Like if you're hitting 260 but you've got the 360 on base, you're going, "Okay, yeah, that's that's a that's a darn good hitter." And you mix in the slugging here and there. He's slugging 433. He has so far this season, Yasmani Grandal, 16 hits. Nine of them are homers, two are doubles. Eleven of his 16 hits are extra base hits. I don't want to say, it's too easy, I think, to say that one player is like a microcosm of where we're at in Major League Baseball right now. But, I don't know, for two months and change, Yasmani Grandal has been kind of an emblem of where offense is in Major League Baseball this year. We'll see if it changes. You know, obviously he was banged up some at the end of spring training, and I think that lasted for a little while. He's starting to get healthy some, and I you know, heard both our, our radio broadcasts and our television broadcast uh, talk about the return of health to Yasmani Grandal's knees, and it's getting a little warmer. It's easier to hit for power, perhaps. I mean, shoot, Nick Madrigal hit one four oh two last night. This ballpark was jumping. Let's head out to the phone lines. Talk a little bit with White Sox fans here. 312 312- Three three two three seven seven six. You want to talk socks? This is the place for you. Out in Lake Zurich, it's Sam. What's up, Sam? You're on White Sox Weekly. Hey, how's it going? Uh, and, and I just wanted to call to say this team I believe in because they find ways to win in the weirdest ways. Last night you get in the barn burner game, uh, and you just have the the unexpected happen. Jazz two home runs. I mean, and what I think separates a good team from a great team is the ability to come through and win games like that. I mean, uh, obviously Rodon, Grandal's up 400 OBP, like you were saying. It's just it's just good teams find ways no matter how they come. Sam, I appreciate the phone call, man. I think you're right. I, I really do. I, I would take it just a little bit farther if I, sh- if I could. And I would say it'd be further. I'll take it a little bit further if I could. I would say that really good teams – Find a way to win ball games when the best part of the team isn't playing its best baseball. I'll relate it like this. When I, I've, I've said it a lot on White Sox Weekly and on post-game shows and everything. One thing that's really impressive to me in this game is when a starter goes out there with less than his best stuff and still keeps his team in a ball game. Maybe even he pitches well. But you can tell. It's like, yeah, I don't know, if, if Lucas Giolito goes out there and his changeup just isn't quite the way it's supposed to be, or that fastball command for Carlos Rodon just isn't where it has been so far this year. But he goes out there and battles and keeps his team in a game, gives his team a chance to win. I think that's impressive. I think that's showing a mastery of how to pitch with what you have that is obviously necessary in today's baseball when average exit velocities you know the rate at which guys hit the ball real hard and on the barrel is up despite the fact that what the other numbers would tell you is that offense is down guys are barreling baseballs guys are hitting baseballs hard so for a pitcher to go out there and work around that kind of hard contact even if you don't have your best stuff that's really impressive in a larger sense when a team like the White Sox has a game where the bullpen maybe slips a little bit 
And this bullpen is, I think, still going to bear out to be one of the better ones in baseball. Shoot, heading into last night's game, if you looked at the wins above replacement offered by bullpens around the league, White Sox are top five. Look at fielding independent pitching, FIP. White Sox are a top five bullpen team. That's some serious stuff. And I think a lot of people would still say this White Sox bullpen can pitch better than it has. And I think that matters. So anyway, for a team to kind of work around some hiccups from an otherwise really good unit, I think matters quite a bit. Ted back out to the lines in Byron. It's Mike. Mike, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, it, Jake Berger down in AAA is having a really good uh, season, and I think that there's no room on the team with Johan Makata playing third and uh, having Garcia as a backup. So what do you think uh, the Sox can get as far as uh, a, uh, you know, a trade with Jake Berger? Sure. Pitching or hitting? Yeah, or? Mike, I, I think that's a really tough question. I think it's a good question to ask, um, and I would imagine – that some phone calls are going to involve that. But, you know, I, I just can't think of a player that comps really to Jake Berger uh, going back through history. And, and maybe if you've got one, if, you know, call me up and let me know. Berger sat out for nearly three seasons. He's a, a first-round pick in 2017 that, you know, had the advanced bat, Probably, you know, if you if you aggregated all the scouting reports on Berger, I think most of them would tell you, yeah, he may be able to stick at third base, but he's going to have to work really hard to do so and could end up over at first, even if he ends up, you know, hitting the way we think the 10th overall pick could hit. That's a difficult guy to kind of project after two years off, after a completely, you know, reshaped body and losing all the weight that he did. It is awesome. I mean, truly cool. To see Jake Berger rebound and play the way he is in AAA. I'll pull up his numbers real quick just in case you're not uh, not 100% familiar with how Berger's start of the year. But, you know, I think, you know, I think Mike's right. This, this White Sox roster, as it's con- uh, constructed right now, and with the health that it does have, doesn't have a lot of places for Jake Berger to come up and hit. So far on the AAA season, and it's early on, they, they started a month late. Um, and remember, even the AAA schedule this year is a little different than it usually is. All of AAA is taking Mondays off. They're not playing on Mondays. And then they're going to, I don't know, Norfolk or, or staying home for the entire week. So they play Tuesday through Sunday against one team. And that's to lessen the effects of... Uh, you know, potential COVID spread going back and forth and with all the travel rates and everything like that. Also, in order to remember this, if the White Sox, you know, like with Andrew Vaughn, if you wanted to call someone up from the minors, that person has to come up through AAA in order to be immediately put onto that roster. And that's because of COVID restrictions right now. Double uh, A, single A, they don't have the same kind of restrictions. So in order to make sure that that minor leaguer, whoever he is, comes up and is added to the roster as safely as possible in terms of COVID spread, that player has to either quarantine if they're coming up from the low minors so that when they're added, they don't have a risk of spreading an infection. Or if they come up from AAA, they're good because they are playing and and kind of existing with the same level of or comparable levels of restriction as Major League Baseball is. So 
AAA is just kind of this very different environment so far this year. Anyway, 97 plate appearances for Jake Berger this year. He's hitting 278. His on-base is 330. He's slugging 556. He's got six home runs, 18 driven in. It's been a good start to the AAA season for Jake Berger, who hasn't played you know over a ball in his career. It's, it's wild. I, I think it's going to be really difficult to evaluate for other teams to take a look at a former number one pick, not one overall, but a, a former first-round pick, and really project it the way that you might with with other players. I'm not saying that there's not any value in Jake Berger. Clearly there is. Uh, but but evaluating that and kind of getting that matched to another organization, I think is maybe the toughest thing, one of the tougher things to do for the White Sox as they uh, approach the deadline and get close to, you know, check-in calls with other teams. I mean, shoot, those are probably starting right now. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. A reminder that you can join us on June 9th and 10th as the White Sox take on the Toronto Blue Jays. The first 10,000 fans at each game will receive a White Sox tote bag presented by the MLB Network. Single-game tickets are on sale now. Get yours at WhiteSox.com. Got a little more White Sox news this morning. It concerns the pitching rotation. All good stuff. No worries. That's why we're teasing it. We'll tell you what it is when we come back. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox and Tigers coming up at Guaranteed Rate Field at 110 this afternoon. Sox won the first two in the series. The home win streak is at six. The record is at 35 and 22. A lot of drama in last night's game. A lot of fun. Uh, mostly because the White Sox won the game at the end of things. It's a lot less fun if you don't come up with that hit, but you mean Mercedes made it fun for everybody. I'm watching the Tigers warm up here at Guaranteed Rate Field. They're taking infield right now. Uh, a couple errors for them, so maybe some extra work. Who knows? Still, it is, I mean, it is a hot one at the park already. It says 85 right now. I'm sitting in the sun here in the booth, so it's about 1,000. The ball is really traveling, and I... My shoulder's as creaky as it gets, but in this heat, I feel like I could go out and throw right away. Uh, and that's a lot of fun for ballplayers, too. You just kind of you heard a little bit from Liam Hendricks earlier on in the show. Uh, Carlos Rodon has talked about it a little bit, too. Yasmani Grandal's talked about it some. Warmer weather lets you get looser, faster. It just kind of makes you feel like a little bit better ballplayer out there. So that's, that's good news for everybody around the country as it warms up a little bit here. Hey, Sox fans, uh, we have some very big news. Our own Jason Benetti and Len Casper are launching a new podcast called Sox Degrees. They'll have great guests all season long, some close to the team and some six degrees away. The first episode launches Monday, June 7th. Subscribe and follow on Apple and Spotify. I I have heard of, I probably shouldn't, probably not allowed to drop all of the guests that Len and Jason have, have already booked on the show but it's, but it's a huge guest list. Luminaries. Luminaries and celebrities the whole way around. It's going to be a great podcast. You're going to want to go ahead and uh, subscribe to that. And again, you can do it through Apple or Spotify. The podcast is out there on either way. It'll drop. I think that's how yeah, podcasts drop, right? Albums drop, podcasts drop. We can do both of those things. Yeah, the podcast drops on June 7th. Some news uh, from the White Sox concerning the starting rotation. It's, there's going to be an order switch here. Carlos Rodon and Dylan Cease will flip the order in their rotation. So tomorrow, 
Dylan Cease throws in the finale against the Tigers. And then Carlos will go Tuesday. White Sox have the off day on Monday. So Carlos will go Tuesday to open the series against the Blue Jays. And that's meaningful on a, on a couple of different levels, at least for me, uh, from my perspective, rather. Carlos has thrown on a little bit of extended rest a couple of times already this year. And whether it be uh, Rick Hahn in his comments to reporters or, or Tony or even Carlos himself, they've all kind of mentioned how important it is or how beneficial, I should say, it is for Carlos specifically to get extra rest now and again before starts. It makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Carlos coming back this year was, I think, a surprise to a lot of people. Not so much to Carlos or the organization, but when you non-tender a player, usually comments are made about, oh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. You know, we really like this guy. You know, it's, it's roster crunch. It's salary, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then that player goes on to sign somewhere else, and then the front office has nice things to say about him, and oh, it just didn't work out here. Here's hoping it works out somewhere else. The White Sox and Carlos Rodon are like one of the few places where you heard them say that, and then very quickly heard the reporting and the rumors that, yeah, they actually they do want Carlos back, and in, in a pretty big way. And you can see why he's he's been so good. And I think a lot of that has to do with the combination of Carlos working with Ethan Katz and revamping those his mechanics and, and, and uh, footfall and everything. It's been a big deal for him. But when you look at the workload... For Carlos Rodon, from last season to this one, from 19 into 20, you know it's it's just not a lot of work. Obviously, the the Tommy John, he's had this shoulder issue before. He's just been a guy that that has not been consistently healthy. 34 innings in the major leagues in 2019, seven and two thirds in 2020. And remember, obviously, he's, you know, he's coming back, and that season was uh, dis- I don't think I have to remind anyone that 2020 was a weird baseball season. I don't think anymore. Uh, but his last long year was, was 2018, where he threw 120 and two thirds innings. So in order to you know make sure that he's as powerful, as rested, as protected as you possibly can. You want to get him some extra rest and move him around some. Uh, no word on, on whether or not a guy that can help him get some extra rest in Michael Kopech in, in terms of taking a start every now and again uh, is any closer to returning from the injured list June 8th when he's eligible. But Rick Hahn did mention to reporters while the team was in Cleveland that Kopech is, is not a shoe-in for coming back on June 8th when he's eligible, but that the hamstring injury he suffered uh, about five, six days ago now is not expected to be a very serious one. So that is a good thing. Uh, Every Saturday on White Sox Weekly, we do uh, our gateway to the booth on the broadcast just a little differently. Usually it's you get to ask Len or you get to ask DJ or, you know, we have our, our celebrities call in and ask questions of Len and DJ. Saturdays are a little different. Saturday, Len asks you a question. So here he is, the voice of the White Sox, Len Casper, with a question for you on White Sox Weekly. Here's Len. Hey, Sox fans, Len Casper here. Time for Len Asks, at ESPN White Sox is our Twitter handle. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on what the best moment from last night's 9-8 win over Detroit was for you. Uh, The Mercedes walk-off hit, snapping an 0 for 25. Yasmani Grandal with a two-homer game. How about Billy Hamilton's catch to Rob Miguel Cabrera in the top of the ninth inning? Uh, it was Nick Madrigal with a home run 
in the sixth inning. And Tony La Russa, making history, tied for second on the all-time managerial wins list. Maybe there was another moment that stood out to you. Let us know at ESPN White Sox. Tough question, but it's on you today. What was your favorite moment from the White Sox winner in last night's 8-9 to victory, uh, rather 9-8 to victory over the Detroit Tigers? The higher score comes first, Connor. Come on. Uh, I The Hamilton catch was big. I, I liked that quite a bit. I love watching Billy Hamilton play defense, but for me, I, I think I'd have to say it's Yasmani Grandal's second home run. And that's that's only because I like to score some subtlety points every now and again. Obviously, your mean Mercedes walk-off is huge. But it, but getting Yasmani Grandal hitting with the power stroke that he has over the last little bit has been real big for the White Sox. So I'm going to take the larger view and say Grandal's second home run because it was the second one, and watching him hit for power has been a whole lot of fun. Big conversation in baseball has been the foreign substance that may or may not be on the ball from many or not so many pitchers in baseball. We'll get the latest from a guy who knows. Jesse Rogers of ESPN is going to join us to talk a whole bunch of topics throughout the league and a lot more White Sox when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Jesse Rogers is our next guest on White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. We've got the Sox and Tigers coming up here at Guaranteed Rate Field in a little bit. 110 first pitch, pregame show at 1230. Jesse Rogers of ESPN is our guest here at 1130 on the show. Jesse covers the White Sox, covers the Cubs, covers the entire baseball league for ESPN.com. And there's been a big story making the rounds over the last couple of days. Jesse, appreciate a couple of minutes of uh, of chat with you, my friend. Always a pleasure to catch up. Good morning, Connor. Yeah, it should be another exciting day at the ballpark. I mean, the weather is just you know perfect for the hitters. You saw that last night. I assume that's going to continue today and tomorrow. Yeah, looks looks like it's going to play like a bandbox. This whole guaranteed yep. rate field. It does that when it gets over ninety. Um, you have mentioned speaking of over ninety, the velocity in baseball has ticked up the spin rates have ticked up and now the big conversation and and writing uh reporters have have really honed in on foreign substances in the game and where baseball as an entity wants to be and wants to i don't know potentially make disciplinary actions about this what can you tell us about the latest of of where major league baseball is at with foreign substances on the baseball yeah they're ready to act um they gathered their data uh, throughout the first half and over the last couple of years, really, and they are ready to act. Now, it's a difficult you know, line to walk here. They're talking to umpires and figuring out exactly the best way. I mean, umpires are going to be caught in the middle of this thing, it sounds like. It, they're going to be the people that are going to have to act on this. Um, they're coming up with the penalties and the system you know, to, to get to that point where a guy gets thrown out and possibly suspended. They're working with the union. So, Details are not, um, you know, hammered out just yet, but they're going to be very soon. And I know that's going on right now. I, I, I spoke with a couple umpires that are in the negotiations and just trying to figure out exactly, you know, what kind of authority they're going to have and how, how, uh, what it's going to take to act on that. Right? I mean, uh, there's so many different scenarios. I mean, the obvious ones are the, the stuff that's on a guy's cap, right? The less obvious ones are when it's in his glove or, or somewhere else that you can't see. Um, I'm, I'm expecting very clean caps moving forward, but um, I'm not. I don't think 
for a second, it's going to curb everything until we see some guys get busted, potentially suspended. So they're sort of working out the details now, but it's definitely coming. I don't know if that's within days or a week or, you know, the all-star break, but it's definitely coming as soon as the union, the umpires and the league kind of sign off on exactly how this thing's going to go down. So what is it then that needs to be done procedurally? Because I, I, in a lot of instances, baseball can make unilaterally some changes to the process. In a lot of other cases, like you mentioned, the union, the players' union, or the umpires' union needs to be on board with some of these things. Is this one where Rob Manfred can act on his own, or does this need to have consensus? Well, at least it needs consensus with the uh, with the umpires, right? I mean, Manfred can't go out there and you know eject players, so they've got to get the umpires on board exactly how this is going to be policed. Now, I was told the union's involved as well. They always like to do things collectively, right? Mm. Um, you don't want to act unilaterally. Uh, remember, half the union is in favor of coming down on these guys. The other half doesn't care so much, meaning hitters versus pitchers. So um, I, at the end of the day, I think it's Manfred's call, obviously, with, with the umpires involved. But I, I do believe that some of this has to be negotiated with the union when you're, when you're talking about suspensions that weren't already part of the routine, you know, everyday routine of games, right? This is going to be something new suspending a guy for 10 games or 20 games. I think in that, at that point, the union has to be involved. Talking with Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com here on the White Sox Weekly Show. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Jesse, do you expect there to be restrictions on a guy's routine when he climbs onto the mound? Like, we'll, we'll see guys like uh, go to the glove uh, in the same particular way or wipe their leg on their pants in the same way or grab their wrist in the same particular way every single time. And some of that is nervous tick. Some of it is habit. Some of it, you know, has been over the years stuff that shouldn't be on the baseball. Are we down to that level? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's the last thing they want to do. You know, Liam Hendricks mentioned this. He goes to his hair or whatever often or his hat, and uh, he doesn't want to have to not do that. He's not. He says it's just a habit thing. It's not. He's not cheating or anything like that. So there's many players that have those kind of habits. I think the key is if they do that, and then the umpire sees the ball do something funny or more likely you know, is able to see the ball and it's sticky and all that stuff, that's when yeah. they'll act. So they need a reason to curb um, someone's habit. Uh, and if that reason is the ball is sticky after the guy goes to it or they actually see something, you know, on his pant leg when he goes to it or on his sleeve, that's when they'll act. But just the act of doing something like that, no, I don't think they're going to um, say you can't do that because that's, just, that's, that's insane if the guy's not doing anything wrong. But they're going to be very watchful when he does do something uh, that, like a tick or whatever you're talking about. And, and they're going to you know, check him out as much as they can and then check out the ball as much as they can as well. So if you're, if you're clean, you're going to be fine. If you're not, they're going to be on you at some point. So do you remember when the ball the, – I forget who the Cardinals were playing – but the ball skips in front of home plate, and Yadi Molina goes to block it, and the ball literally sticks to his chest protector, yeah. and he can't find yep. it. So at that point, we're talking about an umpire just throwing out the pitcher, you know, by by due fact that the ball is stuck to a catcher's mitt or a, stuck to a catcher's protection in a way that it shouldn't be, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it would just be that because I think I think that was against the Cubs. Molina, I think. Said I think it you're was right. His- yeah, I think he said it was his gear that was sticky, not the ball. Yeah, uh, that that's a quite quite a gray area. I don't know if just that alone would do it, but 
um, I guess they would take the ball and look at it. I mean, I, you know, that's happened once in the history of the game that I've seen, like a ball stick to a, to a, to a, a, a catcher's gear like that. So in that situation, I don't know what would happen, but I think they're going to be looking at balls if they're at all suspicious. If they're, they're not going to look at every ball, yeah. but if there's some, something suspicious going on, they'll be able to look at it and then act. And, you know, maybe, maybe during the early portion of this new sort of process, they'll be looking at a lot of uniforms and gloves and inside hats and stuff. That's possible. I do know that they're going to sort of follow the Joe West pattern, that they don't want to kick guys out and suspend guys. So they're going to give them every chance to change their glove or change their hat or do whatever the case, you know, warn them, whatever. But once that pitcher steps on the mound and starts throwing the ball, if he's caught, he's going to be ejected and there's going to be suspensions. How are leagues and how is the league, or how, how are teams rather, and how is the league having conversation about all the soft tissue injuries that have popped up this year? I was, I was reading, I think it was Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic about soft tissue injuries and obliques have doubled and hamstrings have tripled and groin strains are up 700%, all this stuff. Are, are teams, you know, are they, are they whining about this stuff? Are they, are they rightly whining about this stuff? Are, are players concerned about it? Where are we at here? I think it's a one-year anomaly, the fact that it's jumped up like this. And it, and it does probably go back to the p- pandemic, and it's kind of ironic. Like, for you and me, if we get hurt, it's because we're out of shape. For an athlete like these guys, it's kind of the opposite. I talked to one just three days ago that's been on the IL for a while, and I asked him exactly what you're asking. What is going on? And the only answer you come up with is they're, 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 they've overworked themselves. Because of the pandemic, they worked out, they worked out, they worked out. Then the offseason came quickly, and they worked out, and they worked out, and then spring training, they worked out, and they just, everything became, they're so, they're so in shape, they're so tight, they're so fit, that things started popping a little bit and tearing. That, that's coming from a player's mouth, that he feels like a lot of people, including himself, just overworked themselves, um, what they thought in a good way to get in the best shape, but it actually came, came back to, uh, and, and sort of uh, to haunt them a little bit. And it, it makes sense because it's the only thing that's different than the past years, right? Mm. This, this weird 18 months to two years is the only thing that's different. Why did it jump up this year? Well, the shortened season and so much workout time is how this player put it to me. We could go back to the other pandemic in 1918, but I think comparing those ball players who were like, you know, literally farming to these guys wouldn't probably give us a lot of data sets. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of beer drinking back then, I think, is how they so got much. So much. Where are we at uh, with trade deadline stuff? I assume, Jesse, when you talk to your sources, uh, we're getting close to those check-in phone calls that are always so much fun from one team to another. Is there anything, you know, is the hot stove getting cranked up here? Where is the setting for the stove right now? A a little bit more time, but it's getting there. It's getting there. Um, The check-ins are very – what's happening really is the internal conversations are picking up first and foremost. Then the check-ins will pick up later this month and then really heat up in July. So it's, it's the internal stuff. And for the White Sox, I think it's kind of obvious. You can never not have enough pitching. Let's start with that. Even though if the playoffs started today, I really like the White Sox pitching staff. But there's a couple bullpen arms with some higher ERAs. We saw that you know, pop up last night a little bit. I would be shocked. You know, Any contender basically is looking for a little bit more bullpen help. The good news is the Sox probably don't need a starter. And there's a lot of teams that, that are often looking for starters in July. And I would say probably just to fortify maybe a left-handed bat. I mean, I think those are the internal conversations going on, probably mostly about those bullpen arms because, you know, you, you really have to target a guy or two, and, 
and, uh, you know, hope you get them, but it has to be the right one. So I'm sure that's what's going on internally with the White Sox. Um, so a lot of internal conversations, which will be followed by, by check-ins pretty shortly, and then a recheck-in in early July, and you go from there. What do you think those internal conversations sound like uh, when the White Sox talk about guys like Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger down at AAA? Both of them have their own kind of unique set of circumstances uh, to evaluate when you think about what they could do for this ball club this season or, or, or what they might mean in, a, in trade value. There's no doubt those conversations are going on. And, and more than likely, it's, it's in, in trade situation. I mean, the Sox aren't going to trade Garrett Crochet, right? They're not going to trade from their major league team if they don't have to. They're going to use those guys as trade chips. And it wouldn't shock me if, if, if you know, we, we see a little bit more of them up here to give uh, scouts a taste of what they look like at the major league level. So that might happen over the next you know, month to six weeks, and they become trade chips. That's just how you, how you uh, look at this thing when you're in buy mode. And the Sox are in buy mode for the near future. That's just how it's going to go. Some of those young, young guys down there are not going to be on this team very long. They will net the Sox uh, additions that should help them. Could be rentals, could be a guy you get back that has a year and a half left or whatever, a year and two months left on his deal. That's what's happening internally. There's no doubt those guys are more than likely trade chips than guys that are necessarily going to help them up here. Now, if a couple of those middle guys keep sort of those ERAs keep going up, uh, it might be a different story. You might go down there and, and, and grab one and say, hey, you might need to help us this year yeah. rather in the trade market. But I think if you're thinking about a championship, you're probably thinking about trading for a veteran reliever. I, I think the, I think you're absolutely right on. What do, what do teams think about? What do other teams think about the AL Central? You know, what where are they looking for other trade targets? Where are they looking for other, you know, kind of teams to talk with? I mean, the, the White Sox are just you know this team in this division, and there are a couple of other teams that just are are you know whether it's the Indians or whether it's the I mean shoot you could probably rule the Twins out whether it's the Royals adding something are they are they looking at the Central as as a place where you can grab players or a place where you want to send players? I, I think it's probably um, where you can grab. I, I think Kansas City has been really methodical about how they're kind of rebuilding. I'd be surprised if, if um, they all of a sudden pushed their you know, prospects all in, so to speak, in a trade um, just to kind of compete late in the season for, for, I don't know, probably a wild card. I can't see Kansas City overtaking the White Sox. But I like what the Royals have been doing. I, I, I mean, Minnesota is the, the, the team, if you're asking. I mean, that, that, that's a team that has veterans, um, whether it be on the mound or at the plate. Maybe they're not having as good of years, but you could see in a, in a trade scenario where they might help another team. Like a change of scenery might make a difference. So I don't think Kansas City and Detroit are going to do much in terms of ruining the rebuild, but I could see Minnesota kind of absolutely selling and, 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 and not necessarily starting over, but, you know, sort of, getting something positive out of what is turning into a really negative season. That's, that's what happens with teams that sort of underachieve. you got to find a positive. And what do you do? You restock by trading a couple of veterans that maybe not, aren't having good years but could be valuable somewhere else. So I think a lot of teams are going to be looking at Minnesota in, in short order, not so much Kansas City or Detroit, in my opinion. Could, could Minnesota then move maybe one of the bigger impact players at this deadline? Who do you think makes the most headlines uh, that, gets, that gets traded here in the next month or two? Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, the answer to your question is uh, definitely. I think they could absolutely move a, a, a few guys. I mean, the, the, you know, forget about the kind of years they're having, because obviously most of them are not having great years. But yeah. Alex Colomay first and foremost comes to mind. Now, 
you, a team might trade him that already has a closer and they make him the eighth inning guy. Any team that's out of the race, first and foremost, they start dumping their relievers, especially their closers, right? They just, they're, they're, they're not needed. Now, J.A. Happ is having a terrible year, but could he fill out someone else's rotation and find the fountain of youth all of a sudden? I mean, that's possible, right? So I, I think it's any of those guys um, that are a little bit older. I mean, Nelson Cruz, great example, right? I mean, what do the Twins need with him right now if they're going nowhere? So any of these sort of older guys, even if they're not having the best of years, um, you know, what's Josh Donaldson signed for another year or two? So that would be a little bit more difficult with the money he's earning. But I think all of them are possible. It just depends on, the, on, on what another team is willing to give up. Probably not a lot for some of these guys having bad years. But they're all sort of available, I would imagine. And you just got to hope if you, if you trade for them, they, they have a good two months in them, even if they haven't had a good three or four. Jesse, appreciate you as always. Great catching up. We'll talk to you down the line. Absolutely, Connor. Take care. You have a good one. It. Absolutely. Jesse Rogers, ESPN.com. Guy covers the league and covers it real well. Get into some of the things he brought up here when we come back on White Sox Weekly. But I spoke with Liam Hendricks earlier in the show, and there's a little piece of conversation that I'd like to bring back for you. It's a big part of headlines around baseball right now, and Liam weighed in on one of the most pressing matters in the game. We'll play that back for you when we come back. Get your thoughts on it as well. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. A reminder, you can join us on Wednesday, June 16th, as the Sox take on the Tigers at 1.10 p.m., the first 10,000 fans will receive a retro Southpaw T-shirt designed by local artist Joey D. 76 I've seen them. They are awesome. You want one. Uh, Single-game tickets are on sale now. Get yours at WhiteSox.com. We'll be back in just a couple. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Fans starting to fill in the guaranteed rate field this afternoon for what is going to be, a, I promise you, a hot ball game. I think the action will be there as well. Has been so far with this White Sox and Tigers series. An exciting walk-off win for the Sox last night. Your mean Mercedes snapping an 0 for 25 and coming through in a big way. Uh, it is... Well over, well, I shouldn't say well over, but it's over 90 degrees. Uh, it's certainly well over 90 degrees in the booth. Bacon like a toasted cheeser up here. It is, uh, it's quite a bit. Lucas Giolito is going to get the start for the White Sox. Tarek Skubal goes for the Detroit Tigers. Bleachers and Brews is back this season. It's a White Sox promotion where you get one ticket and two beers starting at $25. You must be 21 and over with a valid ID, of course. Bleachers and Brews is presented by Budweiser. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brew. Just got done talking with Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com. Uh, we talked a lot about the the big headline in baseball right now. League-wide is the use of foreign substances on the baseball. And whether that, or how much, rather, it affects the stuff that pitchers are able to work to hitters. Just how unhittable pitchers can be at times i mean you you see the gifts all over the place on twitter and elsewhere uh instagram and whatnot where you know whether it's pitching ninja or anybody else showing you the overlays and all the stuff that drops and falls and slices and curves i mean my goodness it's a miracle that that anybody gets a hit these days i very much agree with the effectively wild podcast in that regard it is really amazing when guys get hits because the the stuff that's coming out of pitchers hands is ridiculous 
Not to say that everybody's doing it, but it is. Well, take a listen. I talked with Liam Hendricks earlier on in the show, and I asked him about the foreign substance issue and just how big a problem it is in baseball, or or isn't. I was I was asking, I is it is it bad? Is it not bad? Here's Liam Hendricks and how he responded earlier this morning. Yeah, I mean it's it's a rampant issue throughout the league. It's uh, it's something that has gone on for decades not just recently but recently it's gotten to a little bit more of a scientific level where people are now using certain like devices whether it be a rap soda whether it be a trackman whether it be something like that to be able to kind of track the differences and and put that out there and i i am all for policing it more and doing whatever they need to do because at the end of the day we want to try and level the playing field because this is going to benefit everyone in the long run yeah it's going to affect some pitches now but it's going to be great in the long run because all of a sudden that offense is going to come back a little bit that fan base is going to be not so wavering and not using this as a as an excuse and then all of a sudden when pitches start getting ahead of it again then we have the bragging rights of like well you complained so much last time we took it away and now look we're still doing it now maybe it's maybe it's on you guys maybe it's on the hitters maybe it's uh it's a different approach and stuff i wouldn't say necessarily guys trying to hit too many home runs or anything like that but i think the like once you eradicate the, uh, the the substances or whatever you guys, whatever MLB wants to do with that, I think there needs to be a, a come to Jesus moment where it's like, okay, well, what can we do to help increase offense? Oh, let's pay guys for singles. Let's pay guys to get on base. Let's pay guys to do this rather than just let's pay guys for OPS or the home runs or the RBIs or anything like that. Let's pay the guys who are hitting singles like the Nick Madrigals of the world who are going to hit 315 to 360 every year and, and maybe hit two to five home runs in a season. And let's pay those guys what they're worth instead of all oh, your OPS is down or your slugging's down or you weren't, at a league, you weren't above an average hitter because you had no power numbers. That's, that, that needs to go away. The analytics side of that needs to go away. And pay guys for getting on base, pay guys for getting singles and doubles. That is White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. He was our guest earlier on White Sox Weekly, and I think that is a really fascinating idea. You know, just besides the fact of of addressing and just pretty clearly saying, yes, stuff on the baseball right now is a rampant issue. That was the word he used, a rampant issue in baseball, and he's fine with policing that however MLB wants to police it. I think the end of that comment there is, is an interesting one. Everybody wants more action in this game. Yeah, nobody, you know, even if, if you're old school, if you're the oldest school or whether you're new school and, and just coming into this game and, and wanting all the dingers you can possibly find, not that, you know, liking dingers is just a, a new thing. Everybody likes home runs, right? Just the rate at which we see them. You want more action in this game. And I love the idea of, of an incentive program as opposed to a, a regressive program for hitters, for guys who produce. I think that gets into a conversation about how players are paid and and compensated for their first six years of baseball when they're under te- what we call team control. I, I think providing you know literally a financial incentive for things we want to see more of in baseball is a great way to get more of those things you want to see in the game of baseball, and that's. Yeah, it's coming from Liam Hendricks. It's coming from a guy who's out there leading the American League in save. It's coming from a guy who just won the American League Reliever of the Month Award for the month of May. I think that's really interesting. I, I also think this. When it, when it comes to why we aren't seeing the baseball that so many of us want to see, perhaps. You know, why we, we have home runs or strikeouts or walks, and that's about it. 
right now. I, I think I'm, I'm overstating it a little bit just to make it a little simpler in, in terms of the argument here on White Sox Weekly in the morning. But I, I think the stuff that pitchers throw, the velocity at which they throw it, is the biggest issue. So anything we can do, I think, to step back or put a limiter on that is important. I think whether that's done by taking the substance off the baseball or instituting something like a pitch clock that pitchers have to stick to, and that's not a pace of game kind of thing. It's a, you know, how many times can you throw 98 miles in a row if you've only got 15 seconds in between pitches to do it? It's not as many as when you have 30 seconds in between pitches. It's just not. I promise you that. Guys aren't that in shape. A human body can't do it all that many times. So these are the kind of things that I'm, I'm interested in, in changing some in this game and talking about changing in, in watching the league make some changes uh, in order to produce perhaps a more action-packed game of baseball throughout the league in 2021, if, if changes are made then, and beyond. We'll pause it here real quickly, 10 seconds, uh, for a station ID here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. We have the perfect space for you and your group here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Learn more about our private party areas and start planning your outing to the ballpark. see a lot of people in the park already who have made their plans to join us. And for more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or just visit WhiteSox.com. I'm Connor McKnight. we got a half an hour of White Sox Weekly left before we start the pregame show at 1230. White Sox and Tigers coming up here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Lots more to do, including talking about a milestone coming up, maybe even today, that the White Sox uh, and really all of baseball will celebrate. Tell you what that is when we come back. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Month may notice reduced speeds and Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus T-Mobile. Video streams at 480p plus device sales tax with eligible port in and no T-Mobile service in past 180 days. One phone per line, keep four line for promo rate, additional terms, limited time offer, details at Metro by T-Mobile.com. Since 1988, Goose Island Beer Company has been brewing award-winning beers in Chicago, inspired by the city. Beers like our Next Coast IPA, 312 Lemonade Shandy, now White Sox Golden Ale. Our two Chicago locations are great spots if you're thinking about grabbing a few beers to enjoy the game. Goose Island is a proud partner of the Chicago White Sox. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's beer. Please drink responsibly. I think what flavor of these new Dunkin' Coconut Refreshers you get says a lot about you. Really? What's it say about me? Well, you got the refreshing golden peach because you're vibrant, fun, and positive. Oh, what about me? The bold purple pomegranate means you're vibrant, fun, and positive. I take it I got this delicious pink strawberry because I'm vibrant, fun, and positive. Yeah, it's a simple system, really. Share the shine. Enjoy a medium Dunkin' Coconut Refresher for $3. Order ahead plus earn rewards. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer excludes classic Dunkin' Refreshers. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. It is a gorgeous day at Guaranteed Rate Field. A couple of clouds passing overhead. They're the white fluffy ones that offer just a little bit of relief from the sun directly on top. It's a hot day. 90 degrees is what we're going to get to at the very least here at Guaranteed Rate Field for this White Sox and Tigers affair. Game three of four 
in this series. The White Sox won the first two dramatic fashion in game number two. Last night, a walk-off winner from Yermin Mercedes. He's got a chance uh, to do it again, of course, but it won't be today. I was just looking at the White Sox lineup, and we'll share that with you now. We'll give it to you on the pregame show, and DJ will set you up with it as well later on today. But something to talk about, I think. Tim Anderson's going to lead off. He's at short. Nick Madrigal, second base in the two spot. Juan Moncada hitting third, playing third. Then it's Jose Abreu batting four at first base. Yasmani Grandal is going to DH today. He's hitting behind Abreu in the five spot. Andrew Vaughn, who we told you a little earlier in the show, has been reinstated from the injured list. Gavin Sheets was returned to AAA Charlotte. Billy Hamilton's in center field. Zach Collins will catch. Danny Mendick is in right. Collins catching Giolito for another turn. Grandall with the two home runs yesterday. And I think, you know, it's it's been it's been really fun to watch your mean Mercedes in the first month of the season. It has been kind of a heart twister to watch him in the month of May. And and I think, you know, for a lot of different reasons we can ex- we could expect and, and a lot of people did expect you mean to have to play catch up against pitchers in this league in month two of his you know full first full campaign his first month was ridiculous i mean the the kind of month that guys cheat for you know i mean just not to i don't mean to make too much light of it but since that's the kind of conversation we're having like you you look back at steroid era players and they're like whoa dude that's a hell of a month, you mean? And I'm not I'm not saying your mean was anything doing doing anything untoward. I'm just saying he was kind of having the kind of cheat code season that you throw into Griffey on 64, and he and the guys walk into the plate saying I'm back, and he hits the home run every time. That was your mean in the first month. Pitchers adjusted. They started throwing him low and slow away, and he started chasing outside. And the 0 for 25 slump was I think talked about quite a bit. Uh, and, and rightly so. You know, he's the DH. He's in the middle of the lineup, and the White Sox have had so many injuries, and Yermin has been so important in overcoming so many of those bangs and bumps the White Sox outfielders and others have suffered this year. Great to see him get a hit doing what he does best, and that's keeping the barrel maybe on an inside pitch and still being able to, you know, to move the baseball around and find some outfield. But with the day off today from Yermin, I really like that, you know, Tony La Russa is, and we haven't seen it so much over the last month or so because your mean's been in that lineup. He's been such a big part of it. I really like when a team has, especially in the Amer- only in the American League, but as many catchers as you do, three in total, being aggressive with using one of them. If, if the matchup is right, if they've been swinging it well, if you've got the kind of catcher that offensively plays, throwing him into the DH spot and improving the offense that way. That's what Tony La Russa has done with the White Sox today. Yasmani Grandal batting five behind Jose Abreu and DHing. Zach Collins will catch. I, I I like the way this lineup is constructed today. You've got a big power hitter and Nick Madrigal batting two. I'm kidding, of course, but the homer last night was a lot of fun to watch. 402 off the bat of Nick Madrigal. I think he's still going to be a Singles hitter and a contact guy, but nice to see him get the second home run of his major league career uh, and in a fairly big spot. Every run counted last night as the White Sox won by one. The next win for the White Sox will be a, I I don't want to say it's a career maker for Tony La Russa because the guy's already in the Hall of Fame. That is, I mean, it's quite literally a career made when you're in the Hall of Fame. But Tony La Russa's next win 
moves him into sole possession of second place all time managerial wins. He is tied right now with John McGraw, who you may not be familiar with, and that's likely because he stopped managing in 1932. He was a longtime manager of the New York Giants. Spent the first couple of years with the Baltimore Orioles. His first year managing, uh, John McGraw's first year managing was 1899. <laughs> then he spent the year, he spent 1900 not in professional baseball. I think he was just getting used to the calendar switch. You know, when we went from 1999 to 2000, I needed a little breather myself. He was just kind of getting used to things. I was, you know, we were still using checks back then, and I was writing the wrong century on everything. I think McGraw was kind of doing the same thing. I don't think they had checks back in that day, but he's probably writing the wrong date on everything. Connie Mack would be next for Tony LaRusso, although I've been saying this for a while. Connie Mack has a thousand more wins. So the headline, if LaRusso were to pass Mack on the all time managerial wins list, would not be so much that LaRusso passes Mack. It would be that LaRusso lives to be 110. Like, that'd, be, that'd be big. That'd be a big headline all over the place and not just a baseball headline either. But this is. This is a cool thing. I mean, it, it really is. We're going to look back at, at, at this White Sox season and potentially more. You know, obviously, Tony the Roos is here for a while, I would think. Um, you don't come back just for a season, I, I wouldn't imagine. But we're going to look back on this era and say, my God, a, an active Hall of Famer came out of his, not retirement, because he was working for a handful of teams, but came out from whatever role he was in, back onto the field, back into uniform to manage. That's just a, a wild, wild thing. I, I've said it a couple of times on, on this show on White Sox Weekly. We talked about it quite a bit when um, when Tony La Russa kind of gave his initial press conference and, and we did the first show afterward. La Russa said that he, he called the Hall of Fame just to check in and make sure that it was it was cool, that if he got back into uniform, that he'd still be a Hall of Famer. I think that's a wild phone call to make. I don't think there's I don't think there's anything wrong with making that phone call. I think it's completely fair. No one's ever done it before. Why wouldn't you make that phone call and check in and just be like, "Hey, do I have to, you know, should I should I wear stuff? Do I get when I sign things, do I still get to put HOF on it while I'm managing for a second time around?" It's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Uh and the White Sox 2021 season has already been a wild one. This is one more kind of crazy history-making sort of thing to add to the list of 2021 White Sox achievements. And we are only at June 5th. That's another wild part of the White Sox 2021 season. There's been so much to talk about and in what feels like so little time. 35 and 22 are the White Sox to start this year. And it's it's something that I've been thinking about for about two weeks uh, since Len brought it up when we were all just kind of uh, talking baseball the other day about two weeks ago, we are, let's see, 35 plus 22 is 57. We're at 57 games right now. The Sox will play 58 this afternoon against the Tigers. At this point last year, the season was wrapping up. We were almost done. And it's such a, you know, to, to watch this White Sox team on top of the American League Central you know, you, if you like power rankings and, and you look at whether it's, you know, the Athletics or ESPNs or whatever national outlet you like that puts together power rankings, the White Sox are one of the top three, five teams in baseball. And yet, there's still so many things to figure out about this White Sox club. 
in a good way, right? I think last week we were talking about Yasmani Grandal in particular and when and how his return to the back of the baseball card numbers would happen. Well, we've, we've lived it. We've kind of seen it over the last couple of nights. We've seen the power return. We've seen him, I think, over the last 10 games or so, be start to be a lot more aggressive with pitches in the strike zone. And while that hasn't, you know, necessarily resulted in a whole bunch of you know singles for Yasmani Grandal. That's not the kind of hitter that he is at this point. He gets um, he gets the shift when he bats left-handed. He pounds a lot of baseballs into that shift. It's why they play it. But as he's gotten healthier over the last little you know couple of of week and a half, two weeks or so, you've seen the fly ball return to his repertoire. You've seen the power return some as well. And that is a make no mistake. That is a big bat in this White Sox lineup that ha- that has been operating at you know I, less than a hundred percent danger, I guess, to other pitchers. I, I was going to say efficiency, but with the way he was working his walks and has been all season, you know, leading the league with forty four, it's difficult to say that he hasn't been efficient. But he hasn't had the kind of you know power and, and threat. I think maybe is a better way to put it against opposing pitchers, and that's just you know one dude that you've been waiting to get back online and in a big way kind of balance out the middle of this White Sox lineup that has, you know, had to live without Eloy Jimenez and without Luis Robert and has done so pretty admirably. I mean, you look at the contributions that infielders have made to the outfield so far, and it just, I don't know, it kind of makes your jaw drop. Whether it's Leury Garcia, Andrew Vaughn, Billy Hamilton, or Danny Mendick, all of those guys were infielders at one point in their career. And I know I'm cheating just a little bit because Billy Hamilton started playing shortstop at, or stopped rather playing shortstop at AAA when he was a big time prospect for the Cincinnati Reds uh, back in 2014 and then has since transferred into being a full-time professional, you know, gold glove kind of center fielder because of his speed and and, and natural athleticism and his ability to refly balls, but uh, technically speaking, the White Sox outfield is is comprised of infielders right now. And I I think that's a pretty impressive thing to watch. Uh, speaking of, one of those infielders turned outfielder, uh, and I think Andrew Vaughn is qualified for a guy that's made the transition and made it well this year. I, I, I think his future, his long-term future in this league, is, is likely still back at first base. Um, but that he can play outfield for the next what do you want to call it? Couple of years is huge. Andrew Vaughn was returned from the injured list today. He is back off the COVID IL after just two days there. So the White Sox again um, being fortunate that their COVID IL stays have been so minimal and potentially. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't seen the tests, and in a lot of cases, the White Sox haven't reported necessarily what it was that moved him off or anything like that. You don't have to. Those are health things with individual players that you don't necessarily need to report uh, in that kind of detail. But only a couple of days for Luis Robert when he was on to, then off of the COVID IL. And only a couple of days for Dylan Cease, who was on to and then off of the COVID IL. So that's that's a really good thing. And I think a sign that baseball teams around the league are are able to, you know, A number one and A, get shots into players and get players and staff vaccinated. That is a crucial thing uh, all throughout the world and specifically in baseball. And again, if you're coming to the park here at Guaranteed Rate Field, there are opportunities to get vaccinated 
if you haven't done so already. So you can look into that. Go to whitesocks.com slash safety to learn more about that. But, you know, as it, as it gets down to players, in knowing that this system, the, the process, well, if, you, if you've gotten a, a false positive, and I'm not saying that Vaughn's was, again, I don't know, but let's say you have gotten that positive test and all the subsequent ones come back negative and you're asymptomatic, then you have passed essentially the COVID protocol, especially if you are a vaccinated player that has a test pop up like that. You go, okay, system works, held out for a couple of days, moved off of a potentially dangerous situation or an infectious situation, and then moved back into a lineup and, and able to contribute to the team. If you've done things, you know, if you've done things right, if you've followed the protocols, if you've gotten yourself vaccinated, then you are able to return to play. So that's all well and good. That's uh, certainly the way it needs to work. Going forward here, as as more restrictions get loosened around cities and ballparks, too, I think we're going to be returning to a spot where it feels a lot more like baseball as normal. Certainly the world, not quite yet, but baseball as normal, and that's a really, really good thing. One more reminder for you before we hit the break here. You can take the family out to a ball game this summer with a family four-pack, get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips, starting at just $59. Ooh, that's a heck of a deal. For tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash four packs. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll revisit Len Asks. He's got a question for you about last night's ball game. Get your responses, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. we got the White Sox and Tigers coming up in just a little bit here at Guaranteed Rate Field. More White Sox Weekly, though, when we return. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got the White Sox and Tigers this afternoon from Guaranteed Rate Field. First pitch in less than an hour, 110. We'll get things started between the White Sox and the Tigers. You know, I, I was looking around. Well, first of all, let's let's do this. Uh, Len Asks is on board for today. Let's, let's play it. Do a little on-air producing because everybody loves that. Eric Ostrowski is our producer back at the studios, and I, I didn't tell him that I wanted to do this when we were in break, which is when you're supposed to do it. So I'm telling him now. I feel like the Black and Abdallah show right now. The uh, Len Asks is out, and it's a pretty specific question. I want to get your thoughts on it. The At uh, ESPN White Sox Twitter handle is where you can find this kind of stuff. You can chime in that way. Give us a call, 312-332-3776. Let's hear it. Uh, this is ask uh, Len asks for today. His question for you. Hey, Sox fans, Len Casper here. Time for Len asks at ESPN White Sox is our Twitter handle. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on what the best moment from last night's nine eight win over Detroit was for you. Uh, the Mercedes walk off hit, snapping an zero for twenty five. Yasmani Grandal with a two homer game. How about Billy Hamilton's catch to Rob Miguel Cabrera in the top of the ninth inning? Uh, it was Nick Madrigal with a home run in the sixth inning. And Tony LaRussa making history tied for second on the all-time managerial wins list. Maybe there was another moment that stood out to you. Let us know at ESPN White Sox. So that's Len asks for the day, and uh, you know I had a couple different thoughts on this one. Here's where I landed on it: it was the Yasmani Grandal home run number two, and it's because of what it means, maybe in a larger sense for the White Sox. We talked a little bit about it in the prior segment, but that bat coming back online, so to speak, uh, and not to say that 
you know, I'm a guy that does appreciate the walks. I, I, I understand that there have been, um, you know, some other take, you know, swing more. It's kind of like a Wade Boggs thing, right? Back in the 80s. Well, you should swing more. Why is Wade leaving? So it's like a Joey Votto thing back in the, the whole 2010s, right? Oh, you should swing more, drive in more. You got to be more dangerous, that kind of thing. Walks are important, man. And as the, uh, as the White Sox are, you know, up on top of, in a lot of instances or, or for a lot of days now, um, the leaderboards in terms of on base percentage and in the, in the American League in walks with 223, they're the second highest, rather third highest walk total in the American League. Only the Rays and Yankees have walked more, and it's not that many. It's like four more walks team wide for the Yankees and six more, seven more, eight more walks for the Rays. The league leading total are the Dodgers at 258 walks. You've got to be on base. For my money, you know, an, an offense that can reproduce those kind of production, that kind of production, night in and night out, work good at bats, are they're, they're, it's a tough team to play against. It's a team that generates comeback wins and comeback chances um, against other teams like this. I mean, listen, this Tigers team is, it's a rebuilding one, but it is kind of spunky. It's got a guy like Jonathan Scope who is hitting out of his mind right now. Two home runs for Scope last night. It's got a dude in Akil Badu who has produced some and is a dangerous bat in a lot of places. It's kind of looking up and down the lineup. They've gotten some good pitching efforts here and there as well. Have the Tigers. Um, Miguel Cabrera is... Don't hang a slider to him. You know, I mean, he's not the Miguel Cabrera we used to watch. But shoot, you hang a slider and he's going to punish the thing, or at least can... Uh, there are Nico Goodrum has has hit a couple of big home runs against the White Sox already this season. It's not a team you can sleep on, but and I think this is really important because as the White Sox uh, enter into the June portion of the schedule and you know and into July, they finally get outside of of as much divisional play as we saw in the first two months and definitely as we saw last season. So there are some measuring stick series that are coming up here. As you approach those series, I'm talking about the road trip to Houston, hosting the Tampa Bay Rays right before that. That's, uh, let's see, what is that, two weeks from now. You're going to play Minnesota again, which I, I know is divisional play, but you want to make sure you keep them down. you got to win games against teams like the Tigers, the Orioles, the Twins, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, which you're going to see for two games. And you're going to have nights where... Your guys don't have it all coming out of the bullpen. Or you're going to have nights where the starter isn't quite right. And that's where, on good teams, you have other parts of the, whether it's the offense, whether it's you know defensively, whether it's you know your starter has a bad night, your bullpen picks it up. You have to have those other parts pick it up and dominate, truly dominate against lesser teams in this league. Because as we're seeing, you know, kind of this split between the halves and the have-nots as we approach the deadline, keeping as much space between you and the second-place team in this division, whether that be the you know the Kansas City Royals or the Cleveland Indians, and I think it's going to be the Indians for, for quite some time, but that's just me, is, is crucial. It's, it's truly crucial because this summer, you know, this, this June and July stretch starts to wear on players a little bit. It gets hot, and while that's good for initial production, it can wear on guys just a little bit. You know, those dog days are around the corner, and the White Sox are, you know, a little thin already because of the injuries that they have had to sustain. They've done that well, 
They've done that remarkably well. Um, but you know, you got to make sure that you spread the uh, spread the pressure out as as best you can, as best as any team can. Um, from week to week and from month to month, the White Sox have been a ton of fun to watch. Do exactly that, and we'll get to watch them do exactly that again this afternoon as Lucas Giolito gets the start against the Detroit Tigers. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. You hear the music. That means it's time to go. we got the pregame show starting in just a couple of minutes. A huge, huge thank you to our guests today, Liam Hendricks and Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com. Head over to the uh, the app, the ESPN Chicago app. You can download the podcast if you missed it. Thanks to Ryan McGuire, Eric Ostrowski, and Tyler Aki for getting us on air. Huge thanks to Paul Zerang as always. Pre-game shows coming up in just a couple. Don't go anywhere. This is the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network.